knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of CastingAcross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. When was the last time you found new water? Now, I'm not talking about moving to a new state and getting Trout Unlimited's 50 Best Places to Fly Fish and driving to the closest one in that list. I'm also not talking about picking up a guidebook in your local state and figuring out the one river you haven't fished that's within an hour drive and going and trying that for a first time. Both of those things are great, and I would certainly recommend that you do them. What I'm talking about today is actually finding your own water. Going out and exploring and discovering something that hasn't necessarily been recommended to you or hasn't been something that you found online, but something that you've actually searched out. And it could be an entirely new body of water, or it can be a portion of water that you didn't know beforehand held trout or any other fish for that matter. So I want to talk a little bit about that today because there's there's a few reasons why finding your own water, finding new water, and doing it yourself can really be a lot of fun and can also be very, very productive. On one hand, there's this investment that goes into searching and finding water, searching and finding a stream, searching and finding a spot that maybe not a lot of people know about. And actually, I mean, if we're going to be honest, it's not like there's a lot left to be discovered. There probably are places like that on our continent, and there's certainly places like that in the world, but by and large, we're not finding things for the first time. We're finding things that aren't very well known. They're not in guidebooks. They're not uh, listed on message boards. And there's some, there's some good reasons to look for water like that. You might not be seeing the size of fish. We're not talking about some golden city of El Dorado of trout where you show up and everything's 20 inches long, uh, where, where the fish are apt to take anything you throw at them. We might be talking about a small brook trout stream. We might be talking about a little bass pond. We might be talking about some place where there's carp that haven't ever seen a fly. And so while they're still a little bit wary because they're used to predators and things like that, they're not going to be leader shy and they're not going to be um, as skittish as, as a carp or any other fish would under circumstances where they're fished for frequently. So that's the, the first thing. You're, you're talking about the fishing being a little bit different, maybe better, maybe just different. But then secondly, as I said, there's that investment. You put time, energy, 
effort into exploration. It's not something we get to do on a daily basis. And uh, as much fun as we have fishing the waters that we know and that are well known, it's not the same as going out and finding your own new water. So I wanted to share a couple of quick kind of anecdotes and stories about this and kind of explain uh, why I did what I did and uh, maybe give you some ideas as how you can go out and find new water. So the first one is uh, actually a good companion piece to the previous podcast, which was why you should fish the Shenandoah. So when I lived in Virginia, and I lived in Virginia a few different times, uh, once when I was in high school and then for a year uh, recently, and one of the things that I enjoyed doing was fishing the really popular water. But because it's only an hour and a half from D.C. In, in certain parts of the park, you got a lot of pressure. And you'd pull up and there'd be multiple cars there if it was really nice weather. You know that those fish had been pounded the previous days. And so it's not that they were uncatchable, but A, you'd either have to walk far. And if you didn't have time, that wasn't going to work. Or B, they, they were going to take a little bit more finesse. And sometimes you're just not in that mood. You just want to go and catch brook trout. So one of the things that I started doing was driving up and down the uh, perimeter roads of the park and of the areas surrounding it and looking at that water that I was seeing. Because as you're driving, you're seeing these waters cascading down hillsides. You're going over culverts. You're going over small bridges. And then what I would do is I would stop and pull off to the side of the road and I'd look at my atlas and my, uh, you know, my actual physical paper map that doesn't require cell service, doesn't require any sort of electronic components to operate. So I'm looking at the map, figuring out if that stream has a name. And sometimes the streams weren't even on the map, reason being that because they were so small. And then I would take my Virginia Department of Game and Inland Fishery trout guide and kind of scroll down to see if that creek, if it had a name, if it was on their list, the list that said if it was stocked water, wild trout water, uh, what kind of regulations, fly fishing only, close certain time of the year, things like that. And I would try to find the creeks that weren't listed on that. And this is kind of counterintuitive to a lot of fly fishing culture. And something I actually had to shake in my mind uh, a while back, which is there's a lot of good water that's open water. There's a lot of good water that isn't fly fishing only, catch and release only uh, kind of water. And so I find these streams that either were underrepresented on the actual map, not listed in the fisheries guide, and then I would go upstream and I would fish them. And there's a couple times where I got into lots and lots of brook trout. And they weren't enormous. Again, we're talking 8 to 10 inches being a good fish. But when I could have maybe found 12-inch fish in waters that took a lot of work, and I could bump into other people, to be able to get into trout where I didn't see another person, let alone another fly fisher, all day, and uh, even if they're a little bit smaller, it was definitely worth the exploration and worth the effort. So that's kind of one way to do it, is to drive around, find stuff, um, and use the tools available to you. The other story I want to share is uh, also in Virginia, and when I was living there, I was living in the midst of thick suburbia, uh, development after development, subdivision after subdivision, one after another. And this might sound like the least likely spot to find good fishing, but the reality is, is that all of these little communities have been built on top of land that was normal, natural land. And this isn't true in Northern Virginia only. Most places where there's water, this is true. When you find subdivisions and developments, you find places where 
rivers and streams had to be redirected, ponds had to be moved, uh, ditches had to be created, uh, retention ponds had to be strategically placed, and so consequently you have all this water all over the place um, that folks aren't necessarily looking at because it uh, is just in their backyard, and that's where they know mosquitoes come from. So anyway, I was out jogging one day, and jogging doesn't sound as masculine as running. I was out running one day, and uh, I, I saw this ditch, and it wasn't that large. It was maybe about 10 foot by 20 feet, and just the size of a small room. And as I was jogging over the culvert that was next to it, there was an enormous swirl. And so, of course, I stopped and I looked and I saw a bunch of smaller fish kind of scattering. And I thought, why are all these fish coming from in this ditch? And I looked across the street where the culvert came out the other side. And there was a large fence and a data center behind it. One of those big, uh, you know, that's where the cloud is. I found it. It's behind a fence. Anyway, uh, there's a pond there. And this pond uh, fed down into this culvert and into this ditch before it kind of emptied into a swampy area. Well, the fish could make it back and forth. So there's a pond that no one can fish, but there's a little pocket of water where there's access. So I came back under the dark of night, not to jump over the fence and, and, and fish in the pond, but to fish in this ditch. I didn't want people thinking I was crazy, one. Secondly, I didn't want other people knowing that there's potentially fish in the spot. And so I threw a little bass popper into the culvert and immediately I had something hit and that is a rush unto itself. Uh, throwing a fly into a culvert in the, the dark and having an explosion. Uh, it was a bluegill, but it was a big bluegill. I mean, its lips went past my middle finger and its tail was down on my forearm. It was fat, it was strong, it was brightly colored probably in part to all of the interesting chemicals that were being introduced to that area. But I caught a number of other decent-sized panfish, including uh, a good little bass, just out of that spot. Uh, and so it, it wasn't some idyllic setting, but it was an opportunity to find water. I didn't have to get on a message board. I didn't have to use a guidebook. I didn't have to uh, you know, go and, and find a place where the stocking truck was. I was able to d discover something, not in some great, uh, you know, world explorer discovery sense, but I was able to find something that for me had a little bit more going for it because I put in the literal legwork um, in the second instance to, to find the water. So what are some things that you can do? Well, first of all, where you where you live is going to really dictate what kind of exploration and what kind of uh, water finding you, you can do. Uh, if you live in an area where there's a lot of trout, then you can probably start by finding tributaries, finding feeder creeks, finding um, little water that comes off of well-known big water. And as long as it's on public land, you can explore it. Or better yet, have a conversation with somebody and ask them to check out the stream in their backyard. Explain who you are, explain your, what you're doing, talk about taking out trash, and just go for a walk. Maybe not even with a fly rod for that very first time. There, you'd be surprised, especially when it comes to small water, where small water is. There's a creek very close to my uh, house that had brook trout only about five years ago. I read a book that was uh, written five years ago, and they said that this was in our county, one of the remaining holdouts for the eastern brook trout, um, which I'm not sure the difference between the eastern brook trout and the western brook trout, in counter distinction to the southern brook trout. But anyway, it was brook trout. 
and they said that they were there and so I go and explore and I thought this water looks fantastic I was all psyched to come back and fish came back a month later when it started to get a little bit warmer and the stream was essentially dry as a bone come to find out that in the five years since they had put a uh, development at the headwaters and so it kind of cut off whatever source was there you know it was unfortunate it was you know sad but at the same time um, there's those kind of situations in a lot of places um, where this stream was super isolated even though it was in the middle of uh, a relatively busy uh, part of, of New England. So that's some of the things that you can look for. Uh, you can do what I did when I was talking about my time in the Shenandoah, which is get out that map and just follow blue lines. See where where streams go. See where streams should be. And and here's what I mean by that. Uh, the, the, the atlases do a really good job, but they're not perfect. Um, and you have incredibly resilient fish where a, a stream might be moved entirely um, because of a flood or a hurricane um, leading to a flood or something like that. And if your atlas is 10 years out of date, which isn't, isn't crazy, uh, the water might be moved over a little bit. If you're only using your phone, uh, this is another good thing to remember, that the level of detail is, is not super high on your phone's map. So if you can see contours that are a valley that lead into a large river, there's a chance that there's more water in that valley. So even just driving by, nothing ventured, nothing gained. You get up in there and, and you see what's going on and you cast a, a fluffy dry fly or you pull a, a dark little black woolly bugger you know, through a hole and if nothing hits after two or three, you can say, okay, I gave it a shot and at least now I know and I got to see something new and different. So that's one of the things for um, for trout, especially. Now, when it comes to warm water fish, this is where there's a lot of uh, flexibility. Um, really, I have caught sunfish and bass and carp and all sorts of other crazy critters, catfish, um, in water that looks like it's basically just a puddle. But you'd be surprised at what's happening either underwater, um, you know, you might have uh, small bodies of water that are connected um, via cave systems. I've caught trout and, and, and bass in places where I found out that there was cave systems and so the fish were able to kind of move back and forth and you find these little pockets of water. And it might sound like, well, how many of those are out there? And the reality is, is there's more than we think. Uh, there's little back bays and back channels and irrigation ditches and farm ponds that are in some way, shape, or form connected to much larger bodies of water. And so the, the fish that they contain aren't necessarily the size of fish and the type of fish that you would expect to find in bodies of water like that if they were completely isolated, both species and size. But that just takes legwork. It takes looking at Google Maps. The most recent um, stream that I have been keyed into by somebody I just wrote about on Casting Across uh, is a little tiny trout stream that has a really good size swamp attached to it, that uh, swamp being a wonderful place to protect little baby trout eggs and little baby trout. And so even though the stream is in the heart of an urban location, there's a little bit of a buffer zone between the fish, their spawning habitat, and uh, the sprawl that is coming in around them. So there's a lot of different things you can do. A lot of it just 
comes to thinking outside the box, getting outside of the guidebooks, getting outside of the stocked water and the places where the state agencies, as helpful as they are, tell you to fish. Because if they're telling you to fish there, if the guidebooks are telling you to fish there, those things are public documents uh, that everyone has access to. And so they're going to be fishing there also. And there's nothing wrong with that. But Again, if you want fish that maybe aren't getting the kind of pressure that those bodies of water are getting, and if you want a little bit of a challenge of thinking outside the box, looking outside of the norms, and, and actually getting a map open in front of you, or putting on a pair of shoes and walking or running and trying to find new water, you're going to be very, very pleasantly surprised at what you could potentially find. If you have any stories about this, if you have any other insights of how to locate water, I'd love to hear them. Uh, send them to Matthew at castingacross.com. Leave a comment on this show's page at castingacross.com and uh, share your experiences and anything that you have to um, offer regarding finding water, whether it be for bass, for trout, and something I didn't even mention, for salt water uh, that uh kind of defies convention as far as water that wouldn't normally be thought of as holding fish and uh, a little bit off the beaten path. Today's recommendation is a book about trout, the best of Robert Banke from Trout Magazine. Now this is a compilation of articles written by the late Dr. Robert J. Banke. Now he was a man who, hands down, knew more about trout than anyone I've ever met. He was uh, the world's leading trout ichthyologist, and uh, I had the pleasure of um, spending uh, quite a bit of time with him um, for a few years before he passed um, at a camp in Pennsylvania that uh, I helped run for teens. But uh, he loved to share his knowledge and passion for these incredible fish with me, with the other uh, volunteers and directors at the camp, with the teenagers, and also through his writing. So if you are a member of Trout Unlimited, you get Trout Magazine, and for years, uh, Dr. Banky would contribute a, uh, a column into it. So this book is not his seminal work, which is another book that I recommend at another time, but this is a great compilation of his popular work. Uh, so not super scientific, enough to you know make you think, but it collects articles, again, for Trout Magazine, short pieces, and they cover everything from conservation to taxonomy to just stuff that you didn't know about our common trout, our rainbows, our browns, and our brook trout. And uh, the cool thing is, is that you have 30 years worth of stuff, and uh, it's still very relevant and very interesting today. So you can pick it up at Amazon. You can pick it up at your local fly shop if they carry it. If your local fly shop doesn't carry books, then um, politely uh, remind them of the rich uh, literary heritage that fly fishing and angling in general has and uh, tell them that you'd love to buy a book from them as opposed to Amazon. Um, but anyway, uh, I'll put a link to the book on Amazon on the show page for this episode. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe in your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast on iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com where you'll find more info on this podcast and three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish.
through the blackwater bayous and in the dark Louisiana night, floats a duck camp, alive with the sounds of swamp pop and the smells of Cajun cooking. Mississippi Delta in Venice to the Cajun prairies of the Southwest. Me and the Duck Camp Dinners crew will be hunting and eating it all. This is Duck Camp Dinner. Join me, Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois, and the whole crew every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV.